Welcome back to Real Phonies, where we take a love for movies and television and combine it with very little knowledge about movies and television. I'm your host, Christian. Join me or my co-host, Joseph. Yellow. And Jehu. Go! Back again, not actually together, but uh, to talk about Hidden Gems of 1999. Big year for movies. The final year of a millennium. Famously, The Matrix and uh, Star Wars The Phantom Menace came out this year really kind of overshadowed a lot of things i'd say uh 99 is one of my favorite years for movies but i think it runs into one of those things like a lot of the 90s does where the hidden gems are hits and right. then other things turn out to be hidden like you know like you know in in another year the blair witch project would probably be a hidden gem although i hate that fucking movie um uh but you know in this year it's a huge fucking hit you know whereas maybe i don't know baby geniuses is is a hidden gem that was kind of my i don't think it is uh i think uh, that that was kind of my problem in in looking into a couple things from this year uh you know we're trying to find things that are necessarily like you know kind of cult classics or something that may have gotten overlooked by some of the bigger movies or any of those kind of things but even the movies that got overlooked by the big movies are pretty big movies right nobody needs to be told about fight club right well we're gonna talk about it but we they don't The reason why I suggested this this uh, year, and the reason why was, number one, I think it has really big movies in it that can kind of overshadow the other ones, but that this seems like a really good year of a lot of like really good movies that I don't know that people are still watching. Maybe I'm just out of tune, but like, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but like Galaxy Quest came out this year, and I don't know if that still has a following or Isn't younger that people. crazy? Are, isn't that crazy I mean, that was 1990 yeah. motherfucking nine? I think that's a great movie to start with because I think that definitely is a hidden gem. It never really found the audience at the time that it deserved, but I think it has over time. And that's, that's a, that is a super, super funny movie. It definitely that is great. It's got a great uh, cast than Transformers that, that I feel like <laughs> has only gotten better with time. So here, here's my one thing about it. And I may have brought this up on the podcast before. Do you guys know that originally Tim Allen was supposed to be Alec Baldwin? I, did I didn't know, know that. that. I can't decide where, because I kind of hate Tim Allen, but he's great in this movie. I just, I don't know if Alec Baldwin would have been better or not, but that's one of my favorite movie what ifs is imagining that movie without Baldwin. Yeah, I mean, I really like Tim Allen in that movie, but I could definitely see Alec Baldwin in that role. I, I feel like he is just slimy and uh, shifty enough in real life that he could pull off that character easily. They both have a Shatner-esque quality about him. I just think that Alec Baldwin's talent is held up, whereas Tim Allen's hasn't. But then again, (laughs) this is probably Tim Allen's best thing. So if he would have quit after doing this, that's still a pretty good thing to end on. That's super fair. That said, Alec Baldwin is more shaped like William Shatner, so that's a plus for him. (laughs) that's, That's true. Uh, but I know, you know, Joseph, the last time we did this, you kind of ranked it by success. I so did. what were the what were the successful movies of 1999? This is going to be a super problematic system for me if we do this for like another 30 years because I go off box office numbers and there's not going to be box office numbers for whatever Netflix release came out last week, 20 years <laughs> from now. But I, I actually, I, I want to give you guys a guess on, on what you think is in the top 10. Phantom Menace. Okay. Matrix. The Matrix. Yep. The Matrix. Blair Witch Project. Yep. 
did Sixth Sense? Sixth Sense came out. This it year, did. Right? Yeah. 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 Then, yeah, yeah. That, that's definitely in there. Well, I because mean, those movies opened very close to each. They other. did. I, I was actually. I wanted to see if you guys would get Blair Witch specifically. So one through ten, we got Star Wars Episode One, The Sixth Sense. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Oh. I should have guessed that. Yeah. Uh, Toy Story yeah. 3, The Matrix, which is impressive at number Toy Story five. 2. Sorry, that's right? what I meant. Toy Story 2. Yeah. The Matrix rated R, number five movie of the year. Well, yeah. But you got to remember that the rated R rules were less inf- enforced at that point because Co- Columbine hadn't happened. So literally, The Matrix made it so it's hard for a movie like The Matrix to achieve. But after that, we got Tarzan, we got Big Daddy, we got The Mummy, Runaway Bride, and then The Blair Witch Project. What a 1999 list. Like, I that mean, just absolutely. feels like the 90s. Aside from maybe Runaway Bride, who I'm sure there's a loyal following for, and maybe Austin Powers, most of these hold up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you got Ma Myers and Brendan Frazier in the top 10. Like, come on now. <laughs> Super 90s. And, uh, and, you know, uh, yeah, none of us love the, uh, love, are going to love The Runaway Bride, but that shit was huge. I mean, like, clearly. People loved that shit. That's Julia Roberts, right? It is, yeah. 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 I also feel like uh, Big Daddy is one of the, the better Adam Sandler vehicles of, of that era. Oh, Which Big one was Daddy? on there? Yeah, Big Daddy. Oh, yeah, Big, Big Daddy's the only one I still quote. Yeah, that seems appropriate. Mm. Uh, but that's kind of that's where it gets weird here, right? Is because... Like the shit that's well down this list is not even like the top. Well, I I, I did want to mention one of the one of the movies that was in like the top twenty five somehow of of this year was Saving Private Ryan, which actually came out like early, way earlier in nineteen ninety eight. It was in theaters and hurt. I don't know if you were living the life at this time, but it was in theaters consecutively for seventy five weeks. I mean, that's Holy the thing cow. that you. That's the thing that used to happen. Movies could stay. Movies could stay in the theaters for a whole year that was definitely something that uh you know that was on the tail end of but uh but yeah i can remember that one being in the theaters for a long time that really blew my mind when i saw that i mean it seems like if there if i had to pick a movie that would do that (laughs) saving private ryan would probably be one of those movies but it's still that's that's a really long time yeah that and titanic yeah so, like, this isn't even a hidden gem. I just can't not mention it because it's the most 1999 movie on this list. Uh, number 14 on this list was uh, Wild Wild West with uh, Will Smith and what's his face? Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. Uh, Selma Hayek, I think. Kelvin Klein. Kevin, Kevin Klein. Klein. Kevin Klein, yeah. Kevin Klein, uh, he didn't really do a lot of stuff, so it was kind of great to see him in this. This movie's terrible, but I enjoy it. You know? I'm the I'm the same way. I would call this one a hidden gem because it's it's so poorly thought of, but it's a fun movie to it watch. It is. A, it's a fun movie to watch. It's very easy to get through. Yeah, and Will Smith is very charming, even though <laughs> there are some super questionable things in in 2020 days in this movie. I think. <laughs> I also wanted to mention really high up on this list, but still not even cracking the top ten is what I would argue is the. Uh, of the better Frank Darabont, Stephen King adaptation that, you know, gets, I think, overshadowed by the Shawshank Redemption, but I don't think it's superior. The Green Mile. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I like them both a lot, but I think that is, I think the Green Mile is a less cheap movie. You know what I'm saying? Not I like absolutely cheap, do. You know what I'm saying? Like, like really, uh, Shawshank is really melodramatic in ways that this isn't. Also, great, great combination of like kind of the Frank Darabont standards 
and some some stars that really made it after this movie, including Michael Clark Duncan and uh, and Sam Rockwell. Yeah, I mean this this is a great film, uh, and I I don't know if you know I don't know if it's a hidden gem, but it's definitely underrated. Right. Again, I I just feel like if, you know if IMDb is, is to be believed, the Shawshank Redemption is the best movie that's ever been made, and uh, yeah, I would argue. I would argue that uh, ignoring all other movies, just within Frank Darabont, uh, Stephen King adaptations, this one's better than that. Right. I I have so many extremely annoying people tell me that Shawshank is the best movie of all time. And I I just have to think those people only watch TBS. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that brings us to one that we couldn't ignore, though we've already, already brought up up top. Uh, making only $34 million despite its, its incredible lasting impact, Fight Club. Yeah, yeah, Fight Club is definitely one that it was not a hit at the time, but boy, has it found its audience. This, I would call this a... a uh, <laughs> this gem was unearthed a long time ago and needs to go <laughs> back in the ground for a little bit. Well, I mean, I love this movie. No, yeah. it's great. It's just, it's super, uh, it, it's overexposed at this point. Definitely it's overexposed at this point, totally. It, I mean, it, I think it really was helped by the fact that, uh, you know, it was right at the dawn of DVD, and that DVD was fucking great. Like, it was had a legitimately fun, uh, what, I, why can't I think of words right now? When people talk over the movie. Commentary commentary there you go it had a legitimately great commentary and i think everybody just bought that dvd and it uh, and it's you know it found its audience at home also important of a memorable uh, dvd cover i feel like <laughs> yeah no, it totally. stands out yeah even though i have that on blu-ray now i still will always keep the original dvd just because it's so handsome and one of the ones that came in right below it that i think is worth mentioning just because i feel like it was it's uh it was a precursor to, or maybe not a precursor, but one of the Robin Williams dramatic roles that kind of gets undervalued, I think. Uh, Bicentennial Man, where he is a robot that slowly turns into a human over two centuries. Yeah, so i uh not a big fan of this movie, but if I were to, you know, just put directors and genres in a hat and I pulled out Christopher Columbus in science fiction, the only result is this movie. That's, that's so true. That, that is awesome. I just remember the trailer uh, for this movie coming out, which was like on all the G-rated films, and it had like the wacky like robot hijinks of him and his like non-articulating legs and arms and tripping and falling and goofy things like that, uh, and making it seem like it was going to be a really fun time. And it's not a really fun time. It's a really sad movie. Well, I mean... That kind of trickery was almost invented for Robin Robin Williams. Yeah, absolutely. Every funny moment in the trailer, and then you go see the movie, and it's a fucking bummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one I had on the list, I should have actually verified this, even though I'm pretty sure we did an entire episode on this person. Uh, I think this was like the the major film debut, I think, or at least major film debut of Jake Gyllenhaal in October Sky as a small town son of a miner who uh, has dreams of, of being a rocket man. I don't know. He makes <laughs> rockets, not gets I don't in know, them. I don't, know, 
Jehu, you're too old for this, but Joseph, did you have to watch this movie like 400 time. times in school? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there, were, there were three movies that I saw more than any other movies in, in my growing up period, which was this and Remember the Titans. And then once I was at band at BT Washington, uh, Drumline. <laughs> Those, yeah, I wish I could get the third one out of your memory. You but. can't. <laughs> I've, seen it, I've seen it at least 10 times. Mm. I, I think this is a good movie. What's his, uh, Chris Cooper is the, is the dad, and he's great in this, I think. Yeah, he was definitely born to play that role. Absolutely. Uh, I, I haven't watched it since you know I was a school-age child, but I remember it being okay. I mean, look, I think even as an eighth grader, you have a feeling like, this is pretty schlocky, but... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good little story. It's a it's a long road from Jake Gyllenhaal then to Jake Gyll- weird Jake Gyllenhaal we have now. So it's it's kind of fun to see the first appearance. Well, this would also be a good year for Chris, uh, for um, Chris Cooper because he was also in American Beauty. You know, uh, uh, you know uh, that I guess this was probably his breakout year. When did the Patriot come out? That was around this time too, right? Because he had that movie as well. I don't know. I feel like- feel like it would be around this time yeah i don't know if it was exactly this year but it would be around this time yeah if it was i didn't write it down i also wanted to mention uh, something that I've, I've i feel like has to be something that hurt would have brought up which was the kevin smith movie of this year dogma 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 yeah yeah I it's mean, on my list I, I i mean i would hesitate to call it a a, a hidden gem because that shit was huge at the time but i don't think looking back it's really one of the movies of his that people look back on they're more likely to look back on clerks or mall rats but uh but yeah i i mean it's a good movie it has a good cast i just remember this one for having alan rickman in it and i enjoyed alan rickman in it alan rickman is good in it george carlin is good in it uh a word from the set is linda fiorentino is a bitch uh but uh yeah i i remember loving this movie at the time i but i ha- i probably haven't watched it in like 15 years or something yeah i'd say this is a good example of one because i think this movie is really good i actually think it's it it's up there with being one of kevin smith's best yeah um but it's uh it it like you said jay it doesn't have the kind of nostalgia that like clerks or mall rats has right it, it, i think almost because it like aspires to be a real movie like makes it less of like a novelty or something Mm. Uh, but speaking of nostalgia i've got one that only well speaking of you said dogma did great it only made 30 million dollars but i mean on the budget they put into i mean super fair uh but but another one that wasn't necessarily a, a crazy big hit but has established a following forever and was played on cartoon network for a full day every year for my entire childhood the Iron Giant. Yeah, the Iron Giant was totally considered a flop at the time, but man, as that was—it's got legs. Happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, great movie. Um, literally uh, got Vin Diesel the role of Groot like 15 years later. Uh, <laughs> Still, arguably his best acting role. And yeah, absolutely. This is a this is a Brad Bird vehicle who's gone on to do you know Mission Impossible movies. And uh, The Incredibles and Tomorrowland. Yeah, I mean, the guy basically, after this movie, got the opportunity to be like the head animator at Pixar, our story guy at Pixar, and really kind of led them through their their heyday, and deservingly so. This is a great film. I have a strong feeling that if there's anyone in our audience that's listening that wasn't, you know, Christian and I's age, 
when this was on TV all the time, you may not have seen this movie. If you like animated movies and you haven't seen The Iron Giant, it is an absolute must. It's, it's, it's one of the most, I mean, it's, besides it's just got a great story, it's, got, it's one of the most charmingly animated movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I really can't recommend this movie enough. Uh, yeah, I, I got several Colts ones here. One, we, uh, I got a couple Christmas releases. We already talked about Galaxy Quest that was on my, on my list. Uh, but also one that came out Christmas 1999 was one of the early Robert Rodriguez films, I believe. Uh, the Faculty. Oh, yeah. The, the, well, I mean, The Faculty, he had already had a big hit with Desperado. But, yeah, this was, this was the first one that he sort of veered out from just, like, doing the thing he was known for the like, like Mexican of, Western things. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, this is the, this is a, this is a good movie. Uh, I, I remember the soundtrack more than I remember the movie and I'm not saying that in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> like there's, there's some song by some band called the flies on this soundtrack. And there's a part in it where I don't even remember what their lyrics are, but the guy's basically saying rubba dubba, a rubba dubba dubba. And that <laughs> shit drove me fucking nuts. Uh, this has got Josh Hartnett. It's got Elijah Wood. It's got Selma Hayek. It's apparently I'm looking at the cast list. Apparently, it's got Usher in it and John Stewart. I don't remember yeah, John, that. I remember John Stewart like seconds before he went completely gray. This is the last non-gray appearance of John Stewart. Huh. Uh, this is a real like over-the-top body snatcher alien invasion in a high school movie with like a lot of gross-out violency things. It's, it's really fun. The effects do not hold up. They are terrible. Uh, but I think the actual movie holds up really well. I've never seen this. You have not. I, I, uh, I again, I don't recommend it on a high-def television, but it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah, if you've got one old tube TV around the house and one old VHS, then I say give it a try. Um, I got two weird movies in a row here, one of which I have never seen, but I've left on here for Hurt specifically. Uh, Man on the Moon. I oh, love yeah, this right movie. On. Yeah, that, that, that's uh, the uh, Andy Kaufman story. Yeah, Correct. yeah Jim Man- Carrey is Andy Kaufman. Yep. Um, yeah, did, did, he's did he, excellent in that movie. He is. Did you all watch that documentary a few years ago about him making this movie? Made him seem like a crazy person. Right. Yeah, he, he was he was completely insufferable. Don't watch that. Watch this movie instead. To be fair, I think that's just Jim Carrey all the time. I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's insufferable in real life. Yeah. But the other really weird one that came out this year that also did not commercially make a lot of money is uh, the Spike Jones vehicle uh, being John Malkovich. Right. But I mean, that is definitely hidden gem cult classic to a T. Absolutely. I mean, this is, it's kind of the definition of what what were our categories for cult classics? This one's super on the weird side, but I know we had like other things. This one's weird on purpose. Yeah. Weird on purpose. This one, this one fits in. And, and man, it just like, it was one of those things that this movie just like five seconds after it was out, just came a bit, became a big fat fucking genre where everybody was trying to do these Charlie Kaufman scripts. And as was Charlie Kaufman, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a real good movie, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of what it wrought. That's fair. I think I think we've talked about <laughs> talking having an episode on like movies we remove based on their consequences, right? And the, right, the, right. the problem is you usually have to remove good movies to to remove the bad consequences, right? Right. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is a great movie, but I think I think John Cusack's really good at this. Yeah. 
Um, I also have one on here that I, I kick myself for not having seen, but I know is a cult classic. I wonder if you guys have seen it. Uh, Election? Man, Election's a great fucking movie. It this, was one of the ones on my list. Again, it's this one only made $14 million, but is, is, has, I think, uh, accrued a following since then. The thing is, you got to realize, 90s $14 million translates to a lot more asses in seats. You know, because tickets costed a lot less. So I, this movie was pretty well received at this time, but it's definitely, I think it's been forgotten all the time, particularly since Reese Witherspoon just turned into a Julia Roberts clone. Like this section of her career, like this and Freeway have kind of just been forgotten about. But this is a really, really good fucking movie. Highly recommend it based on a book by the same guy who wrote The Leftovers. Uh, real good movie. So it's something about like a school election where she's running for like president or something. Am I right? right. She, she is. And she's basically just a, a little megalomaniac. It, it came out almost at the same time as Rushmore. And like they were very similar characters, her and Max from Rushmore. Mm. It's just she had her shit together. She knew <laughs> what she was doing. And, uh, and, you know, and John Cusack is a teacher who recognizes the like, evil below the surface and starts trying to sabotage her and you know spoiler alert i thought it was, thought it was matthew broderick it is matthew broderick those are the same fucking people don't correct me. all right um yeah that that's a really good movie i uh, i can't recommend it enough uh and the next one is one that i think is has a you know if there's if there's a mount rushmore of cult classic movies i think this one's absolutely on it coming in at 10 million dollars is the office comedy office face yeah this is number one on my list right. of that i you know hidden gems and it's it's uh, again it's hard for me to say it's hidden gem because it's so popular but i also wonder if you know it is kind of being lost my parents uh, still haven't seen office space and that's upsetting to me god it's so good there, there i, I think, think there i think there is a generation of people who are unfamiliar with it that's just crazy because I'm positive I could find it on cable right now. Like I could turn <laughs> on the TV right now and be on. Like it's always showing. But uh, man, also, is, also often on TVS. Yeah, often on TVS. Uh, man, is this movie quotable? Like you know, you can you can base your whole conversation on a day on this movie. Uh, everybody in it's really good. Stephen Root particularly is good. I, I guess I think everybody knows about it, but it's probably just everybody I know knows about it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and, and if, uh, if you, if you haven't seen this movie, if, if there's some possibility you haven't seen this movie, you know, you've ever worked in an office or you just enjoy funny things. This is an absolute must. Also great soundtrack. Yes, for sure. Fucking, fucking, uh, great soundtrack. The backup in your ass with the resurrection <laughs> always gets me. <laughs> Who directed that? I'm trying to remember. Oh, that would be Mike Judge. Oh, it's Mike Judge. And King of the Old Face. Yeah. Makes sense. So the next, uh, do you guys have anything else on your list before I start getting into the, the deeper of deep cuts? Well, uh, I mean, go ahead, Jehu. Well, one I definitely wanted to get on here was Deep Blue Sea. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. You know, the, the thing is with Deep Blue Sea, it's kind of what I'm talking about with the 90s. Like in any other decade, I feel like the Blair Witch Project would have been something that wouldn't have been a thing. And this would have been a huge hit, but they almost like switch places because that was the kind of thing. The nineties were very much about the story of how the movie was made and everybody was like a film nerd and stuff like that. But I fucking love deep blue sea. It's one of my, you know, I'm not going to say top 10, maybe not top 20, but top 50 movies. Maybe wow. I, I fucking That's love still it. pretty high. 
Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I also, I highly recommend, you know, if you're going to watch this movie, don't find it on a streaming service. Be an adult. Go buy a DVD and watch it and watch the special features because there's a, there's a little documentary on it where you can tell that Thomas Jane has just gotten way too into playing this part. <laughs> and he, it's just hilarious. He's talking at one point and he's like, yeah, if you, uh, you knew what was really out there in the water, you wouldn't go in the water. And then he takes this long dramatic pause and says, Coast Guard knows. <laughs> and that shit kills me. That, I mean, I love that movie, but that's better than the fucking movie. Uh, uh, yeah. So Deep Blue Sea is, and I mean, I think it's a hidden gem because, you know, the only other person I know on earth who loves it besides me is Austin Smith. Mm, I don't know what that's supposed to say, but good, good tip. <laughs> Austin Smith would have loved our last episode. <laughs> I've already forgotten what our last episode was. What was our last episode? Batman versus Superman. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you would have loved that. That's true. Uh, one that I wanted to talk about was Mystery Men. Oh, I, I can't believe I didn't write that one down. Great cast. Uh, I mean, I think this movie just freaking works. It's weird. Um, Hank Azaria cracks me up in it every time I watch it. Um, I, I think it's really funny. And again, it's it's like a great, parody of superhero films even before we had superhero films um big fan of this movie yeah th this is this is a good movie william h macy in a comedic role i i, I want to say the script was written by and it was created by a comic book creator named bob burden of uh, who was mostly famous for uh creating a character called the flaming carrot but yeah uh yeah th this is a good movie and definitely this one did not find its audience at the time no Though there are some devoted fan bases these days, I think. That's true. I, uh, I never clicked with this movie. I've, I've since watched it in my adulthood and I just did not enjoy the experience. However, I, ha I run into the problem all the time of trying to reference the character that Kel Mitchell plays in this yeah. movie, where he uh, has the ability to go invisible, but only when no one's looking. Uh, and you, you'd be amazed at how often that comes up as an analogy for a lot of things in my life. But I then have to explain the plot of this movie that I don't like to people who've never seen it. And it kind of defeats the point of doing an analogy. Right, right. Uh, one we had briefly referenced earlier that I, I like, I rewatched recently, is Three Kings. I don't, was this, I don't think this was really a big hit. I, 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 yeah, I don't think it was a big hit. It, I, again, it's one of those things that I, I think I remember it as being well received because everyone I like liked it, but it was uh, yeah I don't I you know I don't think it caught on like they thought thought it would, but it, it's a really good movie. It's also been a cable favorite for a decade or two now. One that I would be amiss if we didn't discuss uh, Pokemon the first movie. <laughs> This movie's way better than it should be. I guess that's uh, true. I was going to say, is this really a hidden gem? I, I guess comparatively to what it, it absolutely could have been, it's better than that. Yeah, man, this movie. And, and again, how many people are watching it today? I'm, I'm assuming more than I'm giving credit to because uh, like, you know, crying Pikachu is a meme and I'm sure people know <laughs> where Ooh. it comes from. Uh, also, they just did the like redo remake version of this. But Man, being like 12 years old, standing in line to go to the theater and get a Pokemon card to watch, you know, Ash and Pikachu on the big screen, that was an experience that I probably will never forget. My parents tell me all the time about 
trips that we took as a family when I was younger that I have literally no memory of, not like faint memories. I don't remember the specific thing. Like I don't remember going on entire trips, entire like summer vacations uh, to places, but I have a very specific memory of waiting in line at which theater. Uh, I remember getting my Pokemon card and I remember watching this movie. <laughs> Sticks with you. It really does. And I remember crying when all the Pokemon cried. It's sad. The only other two I have that, you know, I, I think they're, one is a comedy and one is just strange. Uh, Blue Streak and Sleepy Hollow. I like both of these movies, but I, could, I would recommend them to people, but I get that they probably don't have large appeal. It's got um, Dave Chappelle and uh, what's his butt from Bad Boys. I'm looking at it. Martin, Martin Lawrence? Martin Lawrence. Uh, yeah, I remember this movie, but I don't remember a thing about it. <laughs> He's a for, he's a like a former convict who left like a bag of diamonds in the police in a building, and when he gets out, turns out the police station has moved into that building, so he pretends to be a cop so he can get in and get his the uh, the diamonds he left. I think they're diamonds. Uh, Never mind. I take it back. I totally remember this movie. <laughs> I think it's Luke Wilson's in it. Uh, yeah. Again, I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying I enjoyed it, and I, I've seen it multiple times, and I like it every time. Sleepy Hollow, super weird. It's the birth of the Johnny Depp, that character that he's begun to play in everything, I think. <laughs> For sure. But I think it's the best version of that. It's one of the best versions. It's funny to me because this is one of those movies. I don't hate this movie, but I think it's one of those movies that fits into my category of it's better on mute. Because I think it's got a really interesting visual element to it most of the time. So that I think that like watching it is more interesting than actually figuring out what's going on. I, I think it probably would also count as maybe the last really good Tim Burton thing. I'd have like, to look at that. Yeah, I don't know I, for I, a fact, but... I guess, okay, it's the last good Tim Burton-y Tim Burton thing. Is this before I mean, or after Big Fish? That's, that's what my... I'm saying. Big Fish is after, but Big mm. Fish is less Tim Burton-y than this. That may be. It's got Danny DeVito in a circus, which feels pretty... Tim okay, Burton. That's good point. Okay, you're. I, I you you're right. I I I <laughs> this point. I love it. This movie is weird. I mean, Christopher Walken plays the headless horseman, which is awesome. That's that is worth awesome. the price of admission by itself. <laughs> that's all of mine. Harry, you got any other ones? Uh, Blast from the Past. Oh yeah. That that this movie. It's a dumb, stupid comedy about Brendan Fraser being kept in a bunker till he's like 40 or some shit like that. And then coming out into the, uh, into the real world and finding out life's not like Ozzy and Harriet. And that sounds dumb as hell. And it is, but it's a charming movie. Uh, it sounds like a super Ren Brendan Fraser movie. <laughs> yeah. It's got the aforementioned Christopher Walken. It's got, uh, what's her name? Clueless chick. Who's clueless. Alicia Silverstone. Alicia yes. Silverstone, yeah. Yes. But yeah, it's it's a funny, charming movie. I, I you know, I, I don't know how well it holds up now, but I, I think if you're looking for something light, it's good. I miss a Brendan Fraser style lead. I, I think that's something that's died out after the nineties, and I feel like it needs to make a comeback. I mean, we said this was in the top ten highest grossing, but I love the mummy. I can still watch it to this. Oh, for day. sure. It's super watchable. Oh, I can't too. And it's it's really it's weird. It's one of those things that I I'm not entirely sure why it was such a big hit. I'm glad it was, but it was, you know, it was kind of old timey and stuff like that. And you know, that shit doesn't always sell. But uh I, I fucking love that movie. It hits in the same vein like 
I I appreciate that it's like more popcorny, jokey Indiana Jones, and uh, it, I'm not saying it replicates the same emotion, but like it, it that fun action adventure in tombs thing that that plays for me, and it's the only other movie that I think really like really gets it right for sure. And I, I feel like it it also succeeds because it it balances a good amount of like fun comedy with like genuinely pretty like creepy scary uh yeah. like visual elements to it like you feel like there are stakes because it is so freaking creepy i love this one and the second one i really enjoy both of them i can't yeah. i can't tell you that i love the second one because i i think i can objectively tell that it's not as good of a movie but i enjoy watching it it's got Otto Wally Otto in it oded fair is awesome I loved the to second one at the time. I don't really know if I'd watch it again now. I'd totally watch the first one again now. The I think, special effects are better in the first one, oddly enough. Yeah. That is odd. So, you know, we've, we've gone through most of the hidden gems. I feel like now we're getting into... Uh, I wanted to go for the, the real deep cuts of the year uh, that made less than $10 million. I couldn't find any that made less than $1 million. Mm. Uh, which was a bummer because I really liked having that last time. But... Uh, yep. Uh, so making uh, making eight million dollars is I don't know if it's a cult classic. It might be kind of like a film classic. Weirdly, uh, so I think it's I think it's a German film. Ooh, I should probably should check that. Uh, called Run Lola Run. I would definitely go with that's a cult classic. That shit uh, that shit was a big deal for a while. I think it's been forgotten, but when it came out, like The Simpsons did a parody of it. That's how that's how much of a thing it was. Yeah, I mean that's a good that's a good uh, metric. Uh, but you know, it's kind of a, it's a weird trippy, I don't know if it's, it's time travel. It's kind of like alternate timeline-y type storytelling, you know, at least from what I know, it, it, it was fairly trailblazing for its time. Uh, surprisingly, something that only made $3 million, though I'm pretty sure all of us have seen is, I think it's Guy Ritchie's first big film, uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah, I debated on including this on my list. I like this movie. I, I think he hadn't quite perfected his formula yet, but uh, it's good times. I mean, I, I, it, it's it's not worse than most of the rest of them. Yeah. Well, I I think this qualifies as a hidden gem just because it really gets overshadowed by Snatch. And, Which, uh, to be fair, it should. Snatch is better. Snatch is Snatch is better, but this was this was still uh, this was still a good movie, and it's kind of just because they're similar plot wise. I think people just leave this one at the curb. Uh, and then one on here that, uh, you know, in my mind, I always thought made more money because it's always, it's always compared to the matrix. And so I think that people must have seen it for it to have like, you know, been kind of this counterculture comparison to the matrix, but existence existence only made $3 million. Yeah. I've never seen this hurt. I don't, it didn't, it did not. I never, I never saw it either. I think the thing with that's it is, probably why it only made three million dollars. Right. It didn't really play in a lot of theaters. Like it didn't have a huge opening. It was like an art house traveling from city to city movie. So I definitely think it's one that everybody loves it. Uh, if they're saying they saw it in a theater, they're probably lying. It's it's the same premise as the Matrix, but without all the fun kung fu shit. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's, it's one of the Matrix was. Uh, kind of sad and slow. Like we're we are talking with authority about a movie. No, just watch The Matrix instead. <laughs> um, and the last one that I wanted to mention is uh, because you know it's my job to represent the anime on this podcast. Is uh, the Studio Ghibli film that came out this year, which was Princess Mononoke, which uh, made two point three million dollars in the states, which isn't a lot, but for the states, 
at a time when it was kind of a weird thing, I think, to go see these movies. Not bad, I think. Well, I definitely remember a big deal was made of this uh, uh, of this being released in theaters and it had like a celebrity voice cast. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think even though that's not a big number, that's probably a bigger number than anime had done at the, up until this point. For sure. Also, uh, besides the big voice cast, I know that uh, Neil Gaiman worked on the uh, English subtitle adaptation of it. That is correct, yes. Which, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm. Uh, this is a weird movie if you've never seen it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Of, of the Ghibli films, it's one of like the most like strange and violently strange. I, I like this movie, but it is, it is uh, more out there than some of the other ones. And uh, I don't know if I'd call it a hidden gem, but in, 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 in a pre-HBO Max world, was very difficult to find anywhere. For sure. Uh, but that's it. That's all I got on my list. Hidden Gems 99. Hidden, Hidden Gems 99. Genuinely, like several great things on this list. If you haven't seen any of them, go watch them. I'm sure they're somewhere. For I mean, it, it would make sense that the last year of the 90s would have like the best version of 90s movies, but this definitely does. Like, it does. The Mummy is the best version of a 90s movie. I wonder if that's... Now you see, now you make me want to see if we do 2009 and see if does the same thing happens in two, Ooh, 2009. Yeah. Well, well we, we can save that for a later day. But yeah, uh, Hidden Gems in 99. Uh, what have we been watching, guys? Uh, I guess, I mean, I, I've been going first a lot lately, so I'll continue. I, I, like, I, like, I like this hurt sandwich that we've been making. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I watched Uncut Gems. Um, I don't, you know, after watching it, I kind of get that why it maybe didn't get the awards love that everyone thought it was going to get. I do think Adam Sandler is really good in it. Can you um, explain to me why you think it didn't get the, the awards love that it? Because uh, I, I get that it like it's an uncomfortable movie to watch, uh, but that's like the point. Like that movie made me feel anxiety like almost nothing else has. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that it accomplishes. It certainly accomplishes what it sets out to do. Um, but it just, it doesn't seem like there's much to it. Like it, its goal is to make you feel uncomfortable and it does that through situations, dialogue, and certainly soundtrack. Um, but there are some really bizarre moments that I, I don't really feel like they're out of place, but I could see how they don't appeal to the Academy. Also a real question. Do you think the weekend read this script before he agreed to be in this movie? No, a hundred percent. No. <laughs> I thought the whole time, the fact that he was in this movie, it was super jarring for me. For sure. I'm going better than Transformers. Uh, I really liked the soundtrack. It's super weird and synthy, but I think it played really, really well. Finished uh, season genuinely, four, if, you, if you haven't yeah. seen uh, Good Time, it's, it's made by the same people, but I think it's a superior movie. Yeah. The Safety Brothers? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Season four finale, of Rick and Morty. I yeah. thought it was pretty strong. It was pretty strong. I did too. Totally. Um, I thought the back half of season four was better than the first half of, se- of season four. I would uh, also agree with that. I thought consistently those, what were they, four or five episodes? I thought they were all good. No complaints. And uh, I think they ended on, a, yeah, on an interesting note. And uh, I'm excited to see where they take that show going forward. It definitely, this season hadn't been very continuity heavy. And then that last episode was like all continuity. Right. Like it was all the dangling plot lines that have been hanging out for the last two seasons, except for Evil Morty. 
I, th- I yeah. think that's kind of the intention, I think, is mm-hmm. to kind of avoid the continuity stuff because that just bogs down the writing process. Mm-hmm. You just have to weave in so many other things. So I think that might be how they continue to do it from now on is maybe like opening, maybe a middle, maybe a closing episode and then just adventures in the middle, to, which is great. I'm great with that structure. I did watch the community reunion a couple weeks ago and um, Dan Harmon talked on there. They were discussing one of the writers they had brought in for season five or six or something of community. And he said he just hired him for season six of Rick and Morty. So it sounds to me like season five is already written. Um, so maybe it won't be such a big gap, but I won't get Ooh, my hopes up. Uh, yeah, don't get your hopes up. I mean, I hope not because I already kind of miss it. Uh, I watch Space Force. Oh, with Steve Carell. With Steve Carell and Greg Daniels. Um, you know, they... Greg Daniels created The Office, Steve Carell, Michael Scott. I mean, it was something that a lot of people were very excited for with these two guys doing something together again. Um, there was a, There's a lot of rumor about, um, you know, Steve Carell not wanting to leave The Office, but Greg Daniels, like, being done with the care, or, or essentially reached the end of what they could do with Michael Scott. And, you know, there was just a lot of excitement that these two guys were collaborating in and making something. And it could not be more disappointing. Mm. That show is terrible. There can, is some. Can I just ask you for a second? That, is that a real thing that that Michael Scott was like forced out? Yeah. So Steve Carell didn't want to leave. That's like most people assume he was ready to go like two seasons earlier, but he actually wanted to stay. Dude, I literally do not support his shit because of that. So I owe him an apology. Yeah. Uh, there was a book that came out like six months ago that like it was like a journalist behind the scenes look at the office and that was one of the things that came out was that the perception was that steve carell was ready to go but it was actually the writers kind of forced him out i mean that's really stupid because all they did was just turn andy into michael scott yeah they did and they did a terrible job and they did a terrible job of go ahead with your thing about space force i'm sorry there no that's fine i could talk about the office all day uh the the biggest thing is if you and Joseph, I would recommend you watch it, at least parts of it because there is jokes that hit so hard for like government classified work. <laughs> sure. Um, like you just they they make a line and I would laugh in case like I don't get why that's funny and I'm like well you 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 know you've never worked in a vault before but that that is dead on, and then there are some things that make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it just it just doesn't work. And Steve Carell tries so hard to not be Michael Scott. Um, and it, it and honestly, it would be better if he was just playing Michael in a different capacity. Right. And, uh, it's really sad how disappointing it is. Uh, I finished Avatar. Great show. Can't say enough good things about it. It ends really strong. I've never watched Legend of Korra, so I don't know how the sequel goes. Um, I would I would have watched that, but instead. I watched The Last Airbender when I finished it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're setting your expectations in a good spot. (laughs) And uh, gosh, there's it. I'm not. I want to take a second and say that movie's terrible, not just because it's a terrible interpretation of of Avatar: The Last Airbender, which it is. That it's just terrible. Period. On every level, it's unbelievably terrible. The dialogue is horrendous. And the way they just move through, you know, what is three or four hours of TV in an hour and a half is unbelievable. And 
I, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say too much on it. I, it, it's, it was made by a minority guy, but casting brown people for all the bad people and white people for all the good people was a really weird decision. <laughs> that was a weird decision. The main yeah, thing I remember bad. about that, the main thing I remember about that movie is that all, all the dialogue is delivered like maybe they're reading off a cue card that's far away. <laughs> like it's like stilted and unsure the one dude who plays Sokka the guy from Twilight he's the best part of the movie acting wise which is a really weird thing to say mm. but that's it that's all that I remember anyway right on. well mine I'm gonna take a deep breath before I do this because when I'm excited about one I tend to just lose my shit and go all over the place I'm gonna try to keep it together because my what I'm watching this week was 30 years in the making. I read Dune this week. <laughs> you read all of Dune? Well, I mean, I didn't read it all this week, but I finished Dune this week. So yeah, I, I have a long history with not reading this book. I, uh, you know, I, I can remember when the movie came out when I was a kid, uh, seeing it and thinking, "Hey, that's not Star Wars," and then not thinking of it again <laughs> for a while. In the 90s, when I was you know, got really into movies and started thinking myself as like a movie nut and stuff like that. I got real, like most people, I got really into David Lynch and I was a uh, uh, pretty pause. What I'm saying right now, we did not mention the straight story story in 1999 straight story, the most undavid Lynch, David Lynch movie. Everybody should watch that going back. Uh, but this was one of the things that, uh, that, you know, David Lynch did. That's not really David Lynch. So I was sort of fascinated with it. But I'd also heard there's no way to make any sense of that movie if you don't already know the book. So I was like, well, I've got to read this book before I watch this movie that I want to watch, even though I know it's probably not very good because no one likes it, included David Lynch. Uh, David Lynch, who, by the way, passed on uh, directing Return of the Jedi to do this. Uh, could you imagine David Lynch's Return of the Jedi? I genuinely can't. Awesome. <laughs> so awesome. I imagine it would be a lot like the Return of the Jedi we got in that the director would have got fired halfway through and Lucas would have just directed <laughs> but, but, uh So anyways, I, I don't know why I didn't read Dune at the time uh, because it was at the time where I read all the time. But for some reason, I just kept putting it off. And uh, I remember also during this era going into Toys R Us and finding a Dune coloring book that was over like a decade old, but for some reason still on the coloring book scene. I bought it because I was like, this means I have some special connection to this property. And yet I still didn't fucking read it. So then I got past the point where I no longer read. So then I was definitely never going to read it. So uh, anyways, now they've announced the new movies coming out. And I was like, well, I got to watch the Lynch one before I watch this one. So that means I got to read the book. So I, before I can do all of it. So that's what I've done with my quarantine. And I read Dune and, uh, you know, I don't think anyone will be surprised by this, but it's better than Transformers. It's a science fiction classic for a reason. Everything everybody tells you about it is correct. It's pretty impenetrable. Uh, you know, I read the, uh, first hundred pages about three times before I really caught the groove on it. But after I did, I fucking loved it. Um, and yeah, it's hard to understand. Frank Herbert does you no favors in the beginning of that book. He really doesn't. He get, he names 
everybody with H names and then just, you know, <laughs> and he starts the book by explaining everything that's going to happen, but not doing a good job of explaining what's happening right there. But I'm not saying he did a bad job. I think that was on purpose. And when it finally clicks, I think it's better for that. Uh, yeah, I think do, I would describe doing a lot by like learning a, a new language by just submersing yourself in that language. Right, right. And you know, man, everybody who says this is uh, that Star Wars rips off a lot of shit from this, I don't really see it. Everybody who says that Game of Thrones rips off a lot of shit about that, they are 100% correct. <laughs> like the whole Game of Thrones playbook is from this. Uh, but I tell you also, after reading it, even though I know it's not beloved, I'm sort of pretty psyched about watching the Lynch version. Uh, you know, that cast seems really good for these characters. It's a very... It's got like a mix of, you know, Lynch regulars and just like guys you'd like to see in a movie like this and like people who were just hot at that time, you know. And like, I don't know, like there's a specific scene with the character that Dean Stockwell plays that when I got to it, I was like, man, I can't wait to see Dean Stockwell play this fucking scene. So I, it, I'm, I don't get to watch it for a few more weeks because Sarah's also reading the book and she's waiting. She's got a plane trip at the end of the month and she's waiting to finish it on the plane trip. But, uh, but you'll hear more from me about Dune then. I like it. I like the full Dune uh, track we're going on here. Right. You know, it's funny, Jay, you talk about seeing characters. Like I just, I read it not too long ago as well. And uh, the Paul, I can view as, and, and this is to the new one, the Villeneuve version, I can mm -hmm. see Timothy Chalamet killing that part. Totally, totally. Like, I visualized him as Paul the whole time I read it. I did, I did like a thing where I kind of mixed and matched. Like, uh, yeah. I, you know, I visualized some guys from, like, I did Everett McGill from the, from the Lynch version, but I definitely did. I mean, Timothy Chalamet is just more like what the description of Paul is. Yeah. Uh, for Gurry Halleck, I switched back and forth. I couldn't decide whether Patrick Stewart or Josh Brolin would be better because I love both those guys. Well, I'm excited to hear your your. I've never watched the old movie myself, but I I, uh, I want to. This this sounds like a, a full podcast thing. I think we should all do it. One thing I watched the trailer for it right after I got done reading, it, and they definitely take some liberties. It looks like Baron Harkonnen can fly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but that's Any, all I got. Anything else? All right. Uh, I watched a lot of stuff because I'm not a smart person who reads. I also finished the uh, the fourth season of Rick and Morty. I also finished uh, the Hulu show The Great, uh, which was good. And I don't know if it's going to have another season, but I really hope it does because I really enjoyed it. It's it's labeled on Wikipedia as a mini series, and there's no announcement of a season two yet. But I'm hoping. I watched um, a new anime that I am kind of ashamed of. Uh, because I think it's kind of trash anime, but I can't stop watching it. Called uh, Kame, uh, oh fuck, I'm gonna fuck this up. Akama, Akame Gakil. I don't know. I've never had to say it out loud. It's there's nothing worse than the fear of committing to saying something that halfway through you realize I don't know how to say this. Correct. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, it's dumb in a lot of the standard anime ways. It's you know like young boy with with a, a fresh heart. And not a lot of other skills uh, gets welcomed into, you know, this harem of big breasted women who are all assassins uh, and they fight another harem of big breasted women who are also assassins. Uh, it's, it's, it's fine. It's not great. 
I think the most fun aspect of it, that's also the dumbest aspect of it, is it's got kind of like this weird Clark Kent Superman dumb romance going on where the leader of the the uh, opposing assassins from the, our main characters is like the most powerful creature on the planet by like a long shot, uh, but has decided that she fall, she's going to fall in love with our main character, but she doesn't know that he is also part of this, you know, uh, other organization. And so there's just these weird moments where she like steals him away and like tries to force him to be her love pet. And it's just him trying to escape from that. And then it goes back to the regular plot of the the show. It's very dumb, uh, but I'm kind of into it. As far as like actual real people, I watched the Great British Baking Show, the new season Mm -hmm. with the wife. Uh, You know, I had heard that it was worse than the previous season. I heard it was more like controversial. They added an additional dumb uh, reality show thing of like they do like the they're going to kick off two people in one week. But otherwise, I thought it was a pretty standard season. I, I quite enjoyed it. It's a, it's a very charming, heartwarming show, as much as can be said for a reality show. I, uh, I recommend it if, if uh, you want like a hot mug of coffee or hot cocoa in the form of a TV show. It's the only reality show I can tolerate. I like this show. It's the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last thing I watched, as uh, Christian uh, alluded to, HBO Max opened up which actually probably should have been what our episode was about somehow but uh they are the the first people in the u.s to have streaming rights for uh all of the well not all of, but most of the uh, studio ghibli films uh and so the wife and i watched castle in the sky which was i think their first official title from the early 80s and uh, it's pretty delightful it's, it's got it's uh it's actually one of the most straightforward stories of all of their movies which i was not really expecting uh, despite having kind of like, you know, this whimsical flying motif of like, you know, flying cities and, and these fantastical flying warships and stuff. The plot's pretty clear. Point A to point B is pretty clear. And, uh, you know, the anti-industrialism, pro-environmentalism is super there. So uh, it's, a, it's a standard Ghibli film. It's a good time, though. Uh, but that's it. Yeah, Why I'm not? hoping I've, th- I've debated on getting HBO Max. And this is a long trail of thought, but that I would get HBO Max. And then I would make Kate watch Howl's Moving Castle because Christian Bale is in it. And that will be her introduction into anime. And then her and I can watch all the anime together. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not I, sure it'll work, but I'm going to oh, go for it. I see that was going to be my plan uh, because I, I like, I'm going to quote, I don't know if, if my buddy Luke, who does the, uh, the Broke Box Office podcast, listens to this podcast. But uh, Luke was try- talking about doing the same thing about introducing, I think, a girlfriend to, to anime. And he's like, I'm going to show her Howl's Moving Castle because chicks dig Howl's Moving Castle. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so fucking true. Uh, but, but Val already knew that one of my exes super loved Howl's Moving Castle. And she's like, I feel like I'm going to be thinking about that the whole time. And I'm like, okay, we'll watch something else. <laughs> <laughs> but that's information. You, that's your own fault. You never should have volunteered that information. Yeah, for sure. All yeah. your exes never liked anything. <laughs> super fun. Um, um, but I think that's it for this week, yeah? Yep. Yes, sir. As usual, we have no idea what we're going to do next week. But, you know, uh, surprise is the spice of life. That's what they say, right? That's what the word is. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, we'll be back next week to, to bullshit about some other movie thing. Probably not Dune yet because I, I now you kind of make me want to read it. Well, I mean, I, you know, like I said, it's going to be a few weeks before I can watch it anyway because I'm waiting for Sarah to finish and she's waiting to take a trip. So, um, so yeah, <laughs> so we got a while. All yeah, right. you should start reading it now because it will take you a while. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. 
Uh, Don't be afraid to use the glossary in the back. Good tip. Uh, But cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for uh, listening. Please rate and like and subscribe and tell your friends about the podcast. If you want to write in, tell us more, any of your hidden gems uh, that we didn't mention, or if you just have thoughts on the movies that we talked about, uh, about things that we got wrong about them, you can reach us at realphonies at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Facebook and Twitter at realphonies and on Instagram at real underscore phonies. Thanks to Zach Evans for art and Brian Velasquez for our theme. We'll see you guys later. Later. Later.